Welcome to the Thoughtful Gamer Podcast, episode number 51. Today, we're going to be talking about the best games of 2018. I have to say that the third time you did that intro was a lot less enthusiastic than the last time. I mean, I only have so much inside of me. (laughs) (laughs) So much enthusiasm, and uh, sometimes I just blow it all in the first go. I'm a fan of the first take, personally. Yeah, the first take was good. Yeah, but apparently it echoed, so... It echoed, I don't know. Yeah. Sound, audio recording equipment. Guys, people listening at home right now, the second take was so enthusiastic that it rattled Orion and I, and and then that threw Mark off and we had to redo it a third time. Yeah, well... I was also mid-chew and trying to decide (laughs) if I could say hello without sounding (laughs) super weird. We're all professionals here, eating pizza and having audio problems. Anyways, as you've heard already... Uh, my name is Mark. Today on the podcast is Matt. Hi. And Orion, who is chewing. <laughs> Pause for effect. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> oh, gosh. This is going to be the worst one ever. We, we, we continually <laughs> outdo ourselves, guys. Especially since Matt and I haven't played half the list. <laughs> It's not my fault. <laughs> oh, man. Anyways, just, we're going to talk about the best of 2018. It's not just going to be a countdown of my favorite games, but we'll talk about other games. If you guys want to mention some favorite games, uh, we can do that also. But by and large, I'm cutting the time that I'm giving myself to play games for 2018 for this list because if i want if i waited till i played all of the games from 2018 that i wanted to play i would be doing this in like 2021 so yeah it's hard to play everything there's a lot there are a lot of games these days yeah you know like 5000 a year or something but even then there are like 100 that i wish i could play and i got to you know 40 or something like that in terms of games that I really wanted to play that I wasn't able to, I think Newton is probably highest on my list. That seems to be the most mm-hmm. promising I've heard, or at least the game I've heard the most people say, oh yeah, this is really good. And it's by it's by one or more of those Italian designers who keep releasing really good games. I saw a chart the other day. It was actually really cool. There's these four Italian designers, hmm. and between them, in some combination of solo design or duo or trios, they've made... I mean, Tzolkin was the first one. Uh, Lorenzo Il Magnifico, I've heard, is good. Grand Austria Hotel, I've heard, is good. Newton, I think Teotihuacan, a number of... Coimbra, a number of really good, solid, mid-heavy Euro games that keep getting released. I didn't realize were by the same, like... Cohort. I assume, yeah, they're, like, all interconnected, so they all know each other. I don't know if they're all friends or just happen to be... Yeah. to connect at some point because they're all Italian, but they keep putting out really nice mid to heavyweight Euro games. Was there anything else? Newton, you Newton, said? Newton, uh, I wanted to play Smartphone Inc. I want to play Raccoon Tycoon. I'm trying to think of what else. Captains of the Gulf, I, I've heard is good. A lot of these like midweight Euros because there's, you know, I really like midweight Euros, but there's a lot of them that come out each year, so it's hard to, to get in a play of all of them. But I've played enough and I've played... Uh, a lot of games that I think were pretty good. Overall, I think, and this has kind of been a thing that some people have said, and it's been going around that 2018 was a bit of a down year. I think in comparison to 2017, that seems true. Because 2017, man, had a crazy 
incredibly good list of games. I mean, besides like Gloomhaven and Spirit Island, you had Sidereal, you had Lisboa. Oh yeah, um, Lisboa. I know there was a number of them because we've talked about this before about how 2017 is your second greatest design year of all time. It's probably my favorite, actually. Yeah, 2017 at Gloomhaven, Spirit Island, Gaia Project, Azul, Twilight Imperium. People really liked Anachrony. Yet. Pandemic Legacy 2, Sagrada, Lisboa, Ethnos, which there was a certain Twitter thread about that people are getting nostalgic for, I guess, even though it's two years old. Fog of Love, Pulsar, Newsfjord, and oh, 2017 was great. A lot of really, really good games there. 2018 in comparison, I, I nothing got me super, super excited like Spirit Island or Gloomhaven or Lisboa did last year. But that doesn't mean it was a bad year. It just means it didn't have really, really high peaks for me. I think the games that people are really excited about from 2018 are precisely the games that are on my disappointment list. So it might just be that I've I've diverged a bit from the, the kind of general consensus on some of these games. But yeah, we'll see. Anyways, that's my general thoughts for 2018. I don't know what you if you guys had any. Yeah, I mean, we've talked before about just how in- industry wide things are, are improving. Productions are better, theme integration are better, and, and and those sorts of things are are still true across the board. There's no lack of really nicely made games. I think we yeah. just happen to not see the genuine home run designs that we saw last year. You know, one every once every five ten year kind of designs that happen to just group up all right you guys ready for my for the countdown let's hear it before we get to the countdown i have three games here that were reprints or updates or like sequels that felt a little bit too close to the original game Mm -hmm. for me to include as an original 2018 release but all three of these would easily make my top five i think if i didn't put them in that category this would be brass birmingham i guess is the new one it feels a bit too like lancashire for me to count it as a brand new game it it's kind of a sequel i guess or it feels almost like the original game with a bit of an expansion pack i don't know it was borderline but i figured uh since brass has been around for so long and it keeps all the core fundamentals of that game i I wouldn't include it in my list Uh, but it's very very fun also because I like the original one a bit better. <laughs> Anyways, we have 1846, which got a great reprint from GMT, which has started our recent love of 18xx games. And I really like 1846, but it was originally designed like 13 years ago or something. And then the second edition of Pictomania, Vladik Vadal's really, really great drawing party game, which is my favorite of the drawing party games where you draw pictures and such. I never played the I never played the first edition, but from what I understand, they changed like two minor rules, and it's largely just a reprint of the game. But it was my first experience of it, and I yeah. it's one of my it, favorite party games. Yeah, it, from uh, from our Vladicon uh, friends, it did seem like the new one is strictly better. I have not jumped into the 18x games as you and Orion have, um, so I look forward to hearing what you have to say about that genre. But the other two, Pictomania and and Brass, w- were both highlights of the year for me yeah all very very fun we got to get you in a game of 1846 soon yeah they look so uh fascinating for sure yeah all right with that being said we'll run through a quick i really wanted to focus on the top five just because i don't want to spend the whole podcast talking about my list 
but Matt wanted to see what my 10 through 6 were. So we'll go very quickly 10 through 6 and then talk more in depth about the top 5. Number 10 is Hardback by Tim Fowers. Uh, I got Mm -hmm. to play this with Mark, who was on the podcast a couple episodes ago. And it is a deck-building word construction game where you're essentially the cards that you're able to play in the deck-building aspect each hand are gated by if you can make a word out of those letters. And there's different... It's got very basic deck-building stuff, money points. There are different factions, in this case genres of books, that kind of combo with each other like a Star Realms kind of thing. But I thought the the word creation aspect of it made it made it more interesting than something like Star Realms. Uh, number nine, Dr. Esker's Notebook, which is a puzzle game. Uh, we started on a couple puzzle games. We got the one exit game, but I actually preferred this one by a little bit. Uh, this is a very, very small production, kind of a one-man thing that I reviewed on the site. So look it up. It's very difficult, but very well-crafted, intelligently designed. Uh, so if you like those puzzle kind of games, I'd recommend that one. You, you said that this is something that you could start and then put down and pick up later? That's precisely what I did. I played it over two or three sessions. Yeah. Uh, it's It all fits in a little tuck box, and you could start and stop basically at any time, put it away, set it back up. Just everything is done very smartly to fit it onto basically a deck of cards. And man, I got to repeat, it's difficult. I looked up so many hints. Oh man, so many hints for that one. Number seven is... Teotihuacan, the, again, from that group of Italian designers, kind of a spiritual sequel to Tzolkin. I think I like, after one play of Teotihuacan, I think I like Tzolkin a little bit better. Teotihuacan's a bit bigger, more complex. It's got some really neat ideas. This is one I think I could see going up in my estimation after playing it a bit more, or maybe going down. I'm not 100% sure, but it certainly is an intriguing game. Yeah, it was fun. I enjoyed playing it at TotalCon? Yes. Yeah, and it's got a really cool physical element to it because you build a pyramid in the middle of the board as one of the main point-generating parts of it, kind of similar to how the Tzolkin has the gears that are so, I don't know, iconic and unique in that kind of that physical nature of the game. So that was cool. It, If I had to criticize it, it had so many little bits that you had to move around and upkeeping and each action triggered like steps on three different tracks, which could add a lot of strategic elements once you've played it a few times. But it was a lot of work to remember all the triggers that you had to, all the little steps you had to do every time you did something. Yeah, definitely not as lean as Zulkin. But it could, I, I think it could end up being very, very good once you have a stronger grasp of the game. But again, it could also kind of fall apart. Yeah. My first play, I, I certainly enjoyed, and I think it, it's, it has a lot of interesting stuff going for it, which is why it's kind of rated where it is. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. Number six is Pass Tally, which we talked about on the PAX East podcast. And this is a small Japanese, I believe, game. Mm-hmm. Yep. Or was it Chinese? I can't remember. From... East Asia. Pretty sure Japanese. Pretty sure Japanese, which I guess is getting a U.S. printing at some point. It is, how do we describe it? It's Suro for gamers. It's the same yeah. Suro thing where you're, you're manipulating essentially a maze by drawing lines from the edges of the playing surface through a maze of lines on the board. But it has a really cool scoring mechanism where you want to build up vertically. And, and, and if you have AP... 
this one will murder you. Yeah. you, you this can, one, this one hurt me, and I usually am able to settle on something. But yeah, you can certainly spatial stare at this Suro-sized board and just trace paths and possible paths for days. <laughs> but it looks beautiful. It looks so it, cool. And it plays in what thirty minutes, twenty minutes. I mean, you could play it in like fifteen to minutes to two hours i think if i'm not on playing who, you, depending yeah, on who's yeah. playing or depending on how seriously you want to take it right you could really sit down and treat it like a serious abstract game or you could treat it as a kind of mid light euro or not euro but i guess euro game but you know quick spatial game yeah it's got that kind of range to it i suppose number six is decrypto a kind of advancement on the code names thing i i can easily i don't know if this is the actual background behind the game but i could easily see someone playing code names and be like wow how can we iterate on this and make something similar but but different and it makes it essentially makes it a bit more complex by having two teams trying to almost intercept each other's clues and figure out it actually works on a thematic level better than code names because you're actually trying to intercept clues and, and gain yeah. meaning from that. So it yeah. works a bit better. I don't think it's as elegant. I don't think it's certainly not some elegant. aspects and I of think, the game are yeah. as good as code names, but I've, I've had fun with it for sure. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I've played it with a handful of different groups. And, and maybe the, the thing that really knocks it down, good step from code names, is it's harder to integrate everyone of different ability levels maybe i i've played games where there's kind of one person who just can't quite get the clue giving and it doesn't it doesn't accentuate that to the point of like making an individual feel bad but everyone kind of knows that like well you know th that person's clues ended up kind of ruining us anyway i i i think the new puzzle, the new word puzzle that it presents is absolutely fantastic. And if you love code names, you should definitely play this game. It's not that A plus tier for me. Yeah, this one along an a with Crosstalk, which I think was a 2017 game, are kind of on the same tier for me of like, they're really good shakeups of code names, but I don't think I would rate them quite as highly as code names, which is one that I keep going back to again and again. And still fun. We played it just, what, a week ago about? Code names? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, still great. Still great. I haven't had a great time with Decrypto. I've only played it once, which is a huge caveat, of course. Uh, in that experience, I thought the clue giving was really cool and trying to link the order of clues in such a way that your team understands what you're going for and the other team is thrown off. But everything else I thought was either too gamey or just random and not fun. Yeah, I think putting maybe your statement together with my statement, I think it's harder to kind of fit everyone in to enjoy the game. Like, yeah, I think I don't know. I just I just it this way. There's a lot more variance on you what you're experiencing. Yeah, like, I just find with code names, I haven't put code names on the table and felt like someone you know in my living room just had a bad time. Sure. I just, I've never come close to that with code names. And, and I think that the crypto isn't quite on that level of uh, inclusivity, even though it works for a lot of people in a lot of ways. All right. Let's go to the top five proper. Number five is one we talked about again in the PAX East podcast, and that is Coimbra, a kind of middleweight tactical Euro game with dice drafting and a little bit of. And then moving around on a board and lots of little other bits and pieces that you would see in Euro games. 
And I know in that podcast, we talked about uh, the criticism that it did kind of feel like a hodgepodge of bits and pieces you see in other Euro games. But I love dice drafting. I mean, the dice drafting, the, the core is fundamental great. gameplay of that yeah. game is just so fun. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I can't deny that, it, you know, it's one of my favorite mechanisms in, in any game. And I think it was done really well there. And just because you've seen something before doesn't mean it's not implemented well in whatever place it was implemented next what game would you most closely um compare coimbra to i'm trying to think like it 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 did feel kind of unique to me just because of the dice drafting being so central role player actually which you haven't played yeah correct but it's got a similar feel where there's dice drafting and well and a little bit of pulsar but i think closer to role player where the better die you draft or in this case, in Coinbase case, kind of the, the more you bid for a particular spot with the way you draft, there are other repercussions. So you have to balance out. Same with Pulsar, I suppose, right? You, you draft better dice and you get hit on other categories of the game. Role player was kind of the same way where it had two separate drafts. You drafted for dice and the, the better dice essentially you got in there affected your, your position in the draft for equipment. So all of them have that same link. Coimbra's a bit more sprawling, a little bit more hodgepodge. Uh, I think Pulsar is a bit of a better game for me just because it's a bit more focused. It's still a, you know, a big point salad, but yeah, I felt like I could focus in on more strategies and there was more fun to be had in the side elements of the game. Whereas Coimbra seemed much more the success of Coimbra is much more on the shoulders of the dice drafting element. I would agree. Yeah. Which is done fine. But Pulsar, yeah. you know, even if you aren't as excited as we are about the dice drafting element, the other aspects of the game I find are very fun also. Yeah, I think um I'm I, I kind of don't like the point salad type games, uh, certainly in comparison to you, Mark. Mm-hmm. With Pulsar, which absolutely is a point salad, I found that all the different aspects of the game, all the sideways to score points, felt integrated just because uh, almost like the strength of the physical presence of the you know the board itself. Like, sure, you get points for different things, but you're you're moving spaceship around, you know, you're you're building things around stars, that sort of thing. Whereas Coimbra, all the different elements didn't have that integration feel on the same level for me. Yeah. Yeah, um, I completely agree. Yeah, and I think that's what... It, well, and also, I mean, Pulsar, I think I like the dice drafting better. Both games have fantastic dice drafting, and I haven't played a game with dice drafting that I didn't like. But yeah, the, just that integration is is what elevated Pulsar that didn't do it for me with Cambridge. Coimbra. Coimbra, sorry. Yeah, but I mean, I, I like dice drafting so much, and I like those kind of tactical euros mm-hmm. uh, in points or... I guess it's almost the same thing that the kind of idea of a tactical Euro and a point salad are usually interrelated, but I I enjoy those types of games generally quite a bit. Although there are a couple this year that that I wasn't huge on. Uh, Crown of Amara I got to play, which is a somewhat similar game, and it just kind of fell a bit flat for me. Yeah, And we should say that it it is a a very nice looking game. Oh, the art's spectacular. Yeah. I love the art. Yeah. That's my number five. Coimbra number four. Just barely edging it out because they do kind of feel like similar weight games in that they're both thinky mid-weight Euro games. Uh, But this one felt a bit more interactive between the players. 
number four is Gugong, a game that neither of you played. I played with someone else, and it is a worker placement style game, I guess, but you have a hand of cards with different numbers on them, and each of the action spaces, to play that action space, you have to play a card that is a, a greater number than the top card that's there already. And it goes like one through nine, and then, I think it's one through nine, and only the one can beat a nine, and then it kind of cycles over and starts over. So there's so much indirect, really passive-aggressive interaction. And again, the other aspects of the game, like Coimbra, aren't as exciting as the core action selection mechanism, but I found it so kind of tightly wound and interactive and exciting to play that I really want to play Gugong some more just to see how far it can go with trying to outthink and kind of plan ahead of everyone else. It's almost got that dominant species kind of thing where everyone is... Every time one of your opponents does something, it really affects how you think about not only your turn, but kind of wondering what their intentions are and where they may block you next. Because you might arrive at a turn and say, okay, I want to you know, I get four actions or whatever this round, and I want to do this, 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 and this, and what order should I play the cards? Well, that determines, that's determined by what you think the other players want to do and what cards they may have, because you have some information about what cards they get, basically what cards they hold over. And so there's a lot of thinking about the intentions of everyone else and playing around and setting yourself up with you know, alternative courses of in case someone blocks you here. So a really interactive, like high levels of indirect interaction style Euro game. Uh, I got to play the deluxe version, which was very pretty, although I've seen the normal one and it looks very nice also. That's Gugong. That sounds super interesting. What is the deck? Uh, is it just like four, four suits, one to nine? I don't, there's no suits or anything. It's basically just one to nine. There's some other, there's other bits and pieces, but that's the core element of the game. I, I, I can't remember the other little mini parts of the game quite as much to describe them to you, but that's the that's the appeal of it is is that action selection thing. Yeah, I think I've walked in on you playing it twice and at least one other group of people playing it and have missed out on playing it every time. And it looks interesting, although everyone I've talked to kind of seems to have middling review of it of it's fun, but it's not great. But it reminded me a lot of Trajan. Which I also have not played. Which is a Stefan Feld game where... That's the Moncala one, right? Yeah, it's got a Moncala thing and then all these little mini games, basically, where you go to the spot and you know you get points. And if you go to that spot a lot, you can potentially get a lot more points. Those kinds of mini games with different... You know, you move, you know moving around a dude on a map or almost Lisboa-style working with a grid... It felt a lot like that, but I found the the action selection mechanism in Gugong to be much more compelling than the Rondell thing in Trajan, and that's kind of what they're hanging their hats on. Because some of the some of the places in Gugong, one was just like get some points, and the the cost to get those points increases as as people go there. So you, if you want to go there, you go there early. There's another one where it's like a temple tr- track kind of thing where you move your priest up to different spots and you have to get to a certain spot by the end of the game where you lose basically uh so there's trying to do that uh there's moving a guy around a map and you get different bonuses there's this whole ship thing which was a bit convoluted but you know it's little mini games like that 
So if you don't buy into the card action selection thing, the game's not going to work for you. Uh, but I I had a blast in my play. Number three of my top five favorite games of 2018 is Let's Make a Bus Route, a, another Japanese game. I believe, yeah, Japanese because it's set in Tokyo. A roll and write, or rather a, a flip and write, or a reveal and move, or I don't it's, it's a roll and write with a deck of cards. Uh, unfortunately, not available in the U.S., or at least hasn't been printed in the U.S. You might be able to find it at some shops or from obscure websites, but this is by far my favorite of that genre of game right now. I haven't played a ton of them, but I had an absolute blast with Let's Make a Bus Route. You have a centralized board where you're all moving your bus route, um, and you're trying to set it up so you pick up a lot of certain types of passengers before you hit a spot where you drop them off. So if you pick up like five tourists before you hit a tourist destination, you get more points than if you picked up, had two tourists on your bus when you hit that destination. So you're trying to plan this route, but you don't want to cross through the routes of other people very often or else you'll start to lose points. And there are other little things like if you hit a traffic signal spot, you get to move one further so you can increase the size, of your, the length of your route. So a lot of those kind of familiar elements with that genre of game, but I think is really, really elevated by the fun theme and the fact that everyone's riding on this same board in the middle and you're kind of interacting with each other that way. I really, really hope this gets another, this gets a printing in the U.S. because people ought to play this game. I, I loved it. Yeah, I, I love the idea of all being... Uh, all interacting on the same board in some way. I think overall I've been disappointed with the rule and rights that I've played. I don't know. It's an interesting fad almost that's happened over the last couple of years. But but this one, it, just that you're interacting on the same board uh, sounds really compelling to me. So I'm disappointed that I didn't get a chance to play it. And it's interesting. This is a bit outside of the scope of the podcast, but Tiny Towns is getting a lot of talk, and I got to play that at PAX Unplugged, and hopefully we'll get, be getting a copy of it here soon. And that isn't a roll and write, but it feels like one. It has all the elements hmm. except for the actual rolling and writing. Huh. In other words, you get you have your own little space in front of you, and there's a universal prompt, and everyone changes their space in front of them in response to that prompt interesting so in this case it's either someone selecting a color or i guess there's a deck of cards you can use to pick a random color in this case being in tiny towns yeah. and instead of writing on your player board you put a cube on it but besides the actual like changes in the physical components of the game it is a roll and write basically huh interesting Hopefully I'll get to play it more, but I had a, I enjoyed that quite a bit, but I'm curious to see if more... I, when, I, when I interviewed the designer, he didn't conceive it as... In, in thinking about it that way, but I wonder if there will now be a trend of people trying to make a roll and write and then just changing the components to not be that. Yeah. I don't know. Interesting. Anyways, that's number three. Let's make a bus route. Number two, which until two days ago was going to be my number one of 2018. It's a game we got very early in the year. We loved it. We hyped it up. It sold very well. Still love it. Have all the expansions. Haven't played the expansions yet. We should do that. And that is Sprawlopolis. A tiny 18-card game from Buttonshy that is, I think, undoubtedly 
of the designs I played by them, undoubtedly the best one, the best micro game yeah. I've ever played. Definitely. So much fun. Cooperative game where you're building up a town, basically trying to get points for different, for randomly selected criteria of arranging the four or five types of, you know, commercial, residential, industrial spaces. Uh, so it's a, it's a spatial puzzle. But it's cooperative. It looks really cool, and it's genuinely challenging. It's the gen- one thing, it's genuinely challenging, and in genuinely, a consistent way. Yeah, and it's an interesting puzzle, and it's interesting every time we've played it. Yeah, which is impressive, especially for something that's so small and tight. Well, it's also impressive to me that every combination of when you set up the game, you flip over three cards, and it's going to give you a, a new rule for how you score points along with increasing the threshold of how many points you need to score. And I don't know how they did it, but they they seem to have balanced that very, very well because it's always felt challenging to me no matter what combination of cards we've used. I think once it felt like it was, they synchronized really well and it was a bit easy, but other than that, it's it's been a challenge. Yeah, one one thing I appreciate about Sprawlopolis is that it's a really tight puzzle. As far as games go, it's about as strictly puzzle as it gets, almost. You're just kind of presented with a couple cards, and then you have to put it down on top of the other, or adjacent to the cards that are already down in the way that that best suits your scoring conditions. But I actually find that it's very kind of inclusive. Like, I've found that any groups that I've played with, um, and we, we like play this in line when we're waiting you know, to get into some event or we just play it in like the 15 minutes between games or before we leave or something like that. Everyone that I've played with has kind of been drawn in and feels a part of it. And I think that's really cool because... Um, I think the art style has a lot to do with yeah, that. May- it's may- very approachable yeah, I think, looking. I think that might be it. But like I've played it with people like... I love like a really hard puzzle and I've played it with people that typically aren't really like logical puzzle people and they've all enjoyed it. So anyway, I think that's really cool. Yeah, I think it has a very wide appeal. It's obviously nice in that it fits in a little wallet like all of their games or, or almost all of their games. They have a couple that aren't strictly wallet games and consistently entertaining every single time I play. It is interesting. We like this better than Circle of the Wagons, which has a very similar mechanic but is um, competitive. Yeah, same designer. And it actually came out before Sprawlopolis. I think the main thing is that you use more cards in Sprawlopolis because Circle the Wagons, you know, it's it's a two-player competitive game. Your final result is half the deck, or roughly half the right, deck. Right. Whereas in Sprawlopolis, you actually create a larger structure compared to Circle the Wagons. Yeah. And I think that's a lot of the difference between the two is it feels so much more satisfying. And, and you know, it gets more complex in terms of decision-making and possible ways you can lay out the cards it, that I yeah. find Sprawlopolis to be a more fun game. And finally, we get to number one on the list, a game I played two days ago, and I absolutely adored, and I looked it up, I'm like, hey, this is a 2018 release. I guess I know where that's going on my list. And this is the game 1822CA. As I said before, we've gotten a little bit into 18xx games, and this is the most recent one I've played. I've played four of them now. Yes, this is the fourth different one I've played, and this is by far undoubtedly my favorite one. It's epic. It's huge. It took us nine hours to play. And the gameplay, I think, 
meets that kind of epic scale of the game to me. Because I feel like, at least so far in my journey of this genre of game, I'm approaching it very differently from kind of the hardcore 18xx players, in that they really focus on the super interactive competitive strategy of the game whereas i look i like them when they feel like a business game where i'm trying to make good business decisions and invest in the right things and make sound decisions to try to like grow my companies in the future and 1822 ca is really more about that rather than like really tricky stock market things and huge liquidation moves and dumping companies on each other and suitcase maneuvers and all that which is cool I'm just not quite as into that aspect of the genre, whereas this one seems firmly on the side of the genre that I like, and it was huge and had so much variation in terms of all these little private companies and minor companies, and really felt like a narrative to me of, in this case, building up the rail infrastructure throughout the entirety of Canada. Undoubtedly my my favorite game that came out in 2018 so far. Yeah, it was awesome. I love playing it. It was so cool to watch the board develop and see what different people were doing and the progression of you You start buying with these kind of minor companies that have one little train and a station and then you eventually fold them into your major companies that are running across the whole country. And everyone is doing that at the same time and you're jogging for position and there's this auction. Whereas many of the other 18xx games, the stock rounds are generally just buying shares of different companies and sometimes selling shares this one there is that but there's also the way you get companies is that you bid on them essentially and there's this offering of a couple majors or several minors and a couple privates i think they're called so you have to you know we we played with five people and everyone agreed it was the best player count because i think the others we played with had played it at four a month ago or something and they said it was a lot tighter and more competitive at five and the way you had to try to see what other people were going for and get companies and figure out how to (laughs) how to fold them in at the right time and all of that was it was so it was so good we're going to do an 18xx podcast at some point where we'll get into the nitty-gritty of the of the game but uh, of the genre rather but the highlights of this one are that you have all these minor and private companies and the other ones I've played, they have they have usually a few private companies and maybe a couple minor companies or, or something similar to that. And you kind of bid and do an auction at the beginning of the game or in 1846 you draft. And you have those and they usually do a little bit of, of things. Sometimes one of them is maybe actually really powerful and people bid it up. You know, it's a bidding thing. You, you, you self-balance it out once you understand the game. And then you kind of have those, and then the real game begins of operating the major companies. 1822CA really not only did it combine all of that into a draft or into an auction every single stock round so that you have to split your attention and figure out how to divide your attention and your resources through the three different types of companies. It progressed like on the map and, and felt like as following kind of a historical way of progression where you buy a minor company or you take over a minor company and it has a single station on the board and you maybe build out a little bit of track, but it it only has access to these very limited trains and it's able to do local runs. 
And then that kind of sustains you for the first portion of the game as you acquire the capital to launch major companies. And then once you launch those, you get better trains and eventually you want to absorb the minor companies into your major companies. And so they get gobbled up and then you get those assets and that infrastructure to use. That progression was so cool combined with the gamey element of, of an auction that didn't feel gamey. It felt just kind of like it enabled the game to be played thematically and interestingly. And then you get to run these massive cool routes at the end where I was running a route literally from, what was it, Montreal to Vancouver, mm-hmm. which was huge. I lost the game, but I got to run that route like three times. So that was fun. Yeah, Just the, the scale of it and the progression of it and the epic feeling of the game really hits what I have enjoyed about 18xx games perfectly. That's my top 10. Best games of 2018 so far. Maybe after I play Newton or Smartphone Inc. or any of these other games, I'll amend it in my mind. But none of you will ever know because this is my list for now. I mean, it's it's you permanently might have- etched in, in audio digital audio files you might update them in other ways what i think i'll do is is eventually i'll do like look back episodes so maybe in two years we'll look back at 2017 and see if anything's changed you know do like a three-year look back oh look we still love gloomhaven (laughs) maybe maybe we'll we'll hate it maybe the expansion will be terrible and it'll completely ruin it for us didn't i say that gloomhaven was my game of the year a couple weeks ago probably you know 2017 of 2018. <laughs> of 2018? Well, it is the game we, I played the most in 2018. Oh, yeah, it is. Yeah, I dug through and I looked up the statistics of my recorded plays. And sitting at the top, Gloomhaven, I played 24 times in 2018. Spirit Island, I played 11 times. Uh, so that's, you know, one or one and two times a month on average. That feels pretty good. Below that, uh, the games that got eight and seven plays were Codenames, Magic the Gathering. I only count in-person in paper plays of Magic the Gathering, by the way, or else it'd be substantially higher. Onitama, Dice Forge, and Keyforge. So a collection of smaller games that either I played a bunch back-to-back or like Codenames, I just, through living, you know, through existence, just happened to find myself playing semi-frequently even though I don't think I've ever scheduled a Codenames game in, like, three years. <laughs> just happens. Just happens. You know, you're at a party, and someone's like, oh, let's play Codenames. Okay. Around that eight and seven plays for me, there are a whole bunch of eight, seven, six, five of games either I reviewed or smaller games that, you know, I probably played three or four times in a row a couple nights. You get back to kind of the bigger chunk of games that I played between three and five times that are a mix of new games we found exciting and older games that we continually play. So that's what I played the most. Any games of note for you guys that I haven't mentioned yet that are 2018 releases? I'll throw out Dual Powers, oh, which yeah. was fun. We've only played it once. It, we need to play it more to understand it, I think, but um, good first impression at least. Yeah, yeah, that one barely missed my top 10. I definitely liked Forbidden Sky. That was probably a highlight of the releases in 2008 if you like forbidden desert it's it's not gonna completely change your world from you know from that game uh but i but i thought it was really good i like that kind of it, it's on the lighter side of good 
cooperative games that I like. Yeah, I mean, I, I've only played it the one time, and I didn't find it as compelling as for, for Ben Desert, but I found it probably aimed more at gamers like us so yeah. i'm curious to play it more it seemed like you need to plan out a lot more in forbidden sky to do well yeah i think the initial reaction we had of you know this really requires kind of planning your whole strategy out i think that might have been a little bit overblown i i think there's still room to to adapt but it's definitely a more puzzly experience mm-hmm. i think overall you have far more control Yes. Um, because with Forbidden uh, Desert, kind of the storm is just raging around every which way. You don't have much control over that. The actual map you kind of construct in Forbidden Sky and and the map itself doesn't shift. So ultimately, you have more control. And it's, it's just a more puzzly experience. It's just um, you're trying to con- construct a circuit, which means that you have to plan out where all these components are going to be. Other than than that bit, you know, a lot of the same things. You're still trying to avoid the elements and not die. Mm-hmm. So plus, at the end, you get to complete a circuit, and the spaceship makes spaceship noises and lights up. Yeah, the component so, is awesome. I mean, like, for, who doesn't for, like that? Forbidden Desert has a really cool ship. I don't even know what it's, that is. Flying ship, airship, an yeah. airship. Yeah, it's a cool airship. Like Forbidden Sky, one one's up to that. It's just like. It's a rocket it's ship. It's a rocket ship that actually does it, lasts it does off. a countdown, right? It counts down yeah. when you complete the circuit. Yeah, yeah. 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 Good for game right. They always they have some of the most consistently excellent productions of games and Forbidden Sky is probably the heaviest game they've done, so they they do a lot of children's games in in, in lighter yeah. games. I kind of wish they would do more heavier games, but I completely understand them having a brand. I only say that just because they have consistently excellent productions and I enjoy heavier games more, so I'd like to see them produce heavier games. Yeah. I think my game of the year might be Decrypto. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I, I love that that style of game. Despite my criticisms, it is just a blast to play, I think. But I, I really like those those word games. Party games. Mm-hmm. Word party games. It's my kind of party. Yes. Party games where you sit around and think a lot. Yes, silently. Yeah. With no expression. That's, that's the, that's that's the not kind of true. parties I like. <laughs> what if someone made a party game that involved like fractals and physics or something? We're just like staring at this like fractal that and building a fractal together or something. Sure. Something like that. Yeah. I don't know. As long as we were silently building it. <laughs> Speaking of games where you sit there silently, before the podcast, Matt commented that we ought to record a live play of the mind for the podcast. It'd be riveting. Riveting podcasting. I had to remind him that in a game of the mind, you can't speak. (laughs) Or communicate in any way. Or communicate in any way. I I forgot that you don't announce The only method of communication is silence. So, uh, we'll do it sometime, I'm sure. Maybe next April you, you could literally put it in any uh, any podcast, just in post. Just insert some silence. And, no, no, it's got to have like the, the small sound of like <laughs> cards leaving someone's hand. Or when you lose, everyone going, oh, come on. I can't believe you did that. Or like people shifting around in their seats or like getting a glass of water. It could be narrated. It could be narrated like other. No, um, I'm really now into this like avant-garde 
mostly silence the mind play. We got to make it happen now. <laughs> we'll do it. Here's what we'll do. We'll, we'll we'll do it, but the video will only be available to patrons. <laughs> <laughs> the video is already only available to patrons. Right. Somehow, it fits in with what we do already anyway. I don't think that's like a good business play. <laughs> and then we just post the audio file for everyone else. Think about it this way. We could be playing the mind during just about any podcast you and, wouldn't even know and only the patrons would know. Yeah. I mean, only the patrons know about the cat. It's true. We mention her. I'll, do you edit out all that, though? If she, like, makes noise, but not, like, when Amber brings around the cat in a funny pose for the video. Yeah. I don't mention but, that. But, I mean, out of the audio. I guess now I have. Okay. Well, let's decide if I edit that out or if that's going to be a secret. I guess it's no use as a secret. I mean, I want more patrons. Become a patron of the Thoughtful Gamer and you get to see a cat every episode and her fuzzy Guaranteed. belly. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Cat is guaranteed. Mark, I tried to serve that up to you, like, so hard, and you just kind of, like, bobbled it for about 30 seconds before... I said we're pros. Yeah. <laughs> we're professionals here. Uh, speaking of disappointments, let's move on to our game of disappoint... Uh, the games that <laughs> I was most disappointed by in 2018, which, again, as I said before at the, at the start of the podcast, are some of the biggest games of the year that have gotten all the awards and most accolades and, and such. I mean, The Mind got a lot of praise, and I don't, I do not think it's a bad game. I also think it is a game, but I wrote about that already. But I didn't have a ton of fun with it. I think it's pretty good, but I, I didn't dislike it, but it didn't make my top ten, so. Yeah, I went to... That wasn't a disappointment. I thought it was just as a clever, interesting idea, but didn't create that much of fun of an experience for me. I went to look at BGG, and your disappointment games are like the top four on the list of 2018. I'm, I'm evolving into a real critic, right? <laughs> where I where I just disagree with the you the just zeitgeist. hate popular things. Yeah, just reactionary and uh, what's uh, oh what's the term people use? Is that the re- reactionary? Someone who just dislikes something because it's popular. I don't know. I don't you know. should definitely know this word, Mark. I should know this word. But the thing is, I don't dislike popular games usually. Like, I've calculated my, was R value of BGG rank versus my rank, and it's it correlates very strongly. <laughs> yeah. I like, I mean, if you look at the top, like, 20 games on the list, I think I've given all but three, like, a seven and a half or above. I tend to like the games that people like at large, except for this year. So let's start off with Hunt for the Ring. We we liked the first play, and then it just kind of died on us. But I haven't seen a whole lot of buzz about this game, other than that it's a Lord of the Rings game, and some people got mad at me when I posted the review on Board Game Geek. Which you were kind of going for, but... No, I thought it was a mediocre game, and I gave it a mediocre review. Yeah. I mean, okay. or, or rather, a good review with a mediocre you know, score. I thought it was a well-written review. <laughs> That's a good distinction. Yeah. Yeah, no, I haven't seen much buzz about Hunter yeah, the Ring. Yeah, sad. Like, I didn't even... Like, people weren't playing it at PAX. Like, it's just not that intriguing, and I think people figured that and out. I, and we, we had a whole podcast about this, but I think it's hard to make a good hidden movement game also. Yeah, no doubt. Keyforge, I was a bit disappointed. I don't know if I was disappointed. I didn't. I had no idea what I was going to think about Keyforge. I think still the the way they produce it and all the background of that is really interesting. But as a game, I didn't find it particularly compelling. I thought it was all right. I still need to finish my review. I have like 1,100 words written for Keyforge, 
and I haven't yet talked about the game. I have like 1,100 words about the marketing and what they're trying to do and how that has failed to live up with what the entire point of Keyforge is supposed to be and how, you know, sociological analysis about collectible games and all that. But the second half of the review, which is actually about the game I need to finish writing. You should take the word pool from that article and procedurally generate your review of it. (laughs) (laughs) Or at least the title, right? Yeah, definitely the title. Is there some kind of app I can send it through and and make this happen? Probably. All right, I'm tasking you guys to find this for me. This is is Matt's new side project when he's bored at work. Or to program it for me. (laughs) A Keyforge... Doesn't mach- Inter- Inter- machine Inter- Systems has that for like the motto or yeah. mission statement or whatever. Yeah, yeah. we have a, a, a mission statement generator. Just t- ch- take that and just yeah. change uh, out when the, I get a, the when words. I get a, um, sometimes I, I take a pager and I get a reminder email. And it's always sponsored by a random company with a random mission statement. All you right, should I'm- use that. You should take that, that, uh, that file or script or module, whatever, and just replace the word pool with... I don't even My know. My keyforger. Mark can Mark can supply the key the word pool and yeah. see what it it spits out. We'll see what we can do. This is a great idea, this but a, this is not yeah, a good idea. I, I feel like keyforge. I don't know. I don't know how how much how much legs it. You're will just have. disappointed that you didn't get an offensive name deck. I am. I can't deny that. I really wanted to get one of the band decks, but you just have to keep buying in. You just keep buying decks. Yeah, just keep buying yeah. over and over until, you, until I get one. Exactly. I'm sure the ones they're selling now are on a print run where they've changed the, the word list. Probably. I assume so. So what I have to do is now hunt down really obscure game stores that didn't sell out of that initial run mm-hmm. to get like original printing Keyforge decks. Or spend like $1,000 on eBay. Yeah, or that. I could do that. <laughs> right, Amber? She's shaking her head at you. <laughs> She's giving me the wild eyes. The other game, well... Rising Sun, we've talked about it. We've talked about times. it so many times. Yeah. We've only played it once. I don't. I had a great. I had a terrible time playing it. I don't understand it, but I have nothing new to say. So yeah, what Orion said, and then Root, which I also need to get a review out of. Well, I need to play it with the full four-player count. Uh, we've I've played it like three times with three players, and and every time with a new player. Yeah, yeah. We just got to schedule a time to get a proper play with people who know what they're doing with four players, or at least a little bit of what know what they're doing just to kind of get the correct experience for the game, I suppose, or at least the base game. They, they've already gone into like their third expansion now, I think anyways, so far, at least with that, with that experience with root, I was not particularly impressed. I think there's some interesting stuff there. I think for instance, the birds, their whole mini game is really interesting and yeah. probably the, the most interesting part of the game. But I feel like ultimately it comes down to a really reductive political game. At least in our plays so far, it seems to have come down to a really reductive political game that wasn't satisfying and wasn't interesting from a narrative point of view either. Yeah, I didn't think it was that fun. The birds were kind of cool. The cats were pretty bland. The Woodland Alliance was just kind of confusing. That narrative... Like, the overarching narrative is the same every time. Yeah, kind of. I mean, I guess that varies if you... I mean, that's fine. That's fine if it if it has interesting, like, micro-variations on the way, like the coin games do, right? Or like the inspiration sure, sure. route. Yep, and I, I guess that's what they're going for. Or like PAX Premier, which I got an email today, is going to be shipping in June. By the designer of Root, 
and was much more fun than Root. But anyway, that's like everyone's number one game of 2018, so I didn't think it was that great, so I got a giant 10-hour-long 18xx game and a wallet game on my list. This has got to be I mean, even eclectic. Even on average, list. that's a long... Those are long-playing games. Well, not Sprawlopolis. <laughs> yeah, but on average, you're like at five hours. Oh, yeah. If you if you average them, yeah. That's about right. All right that's my disappointments. What is the I, I looked through and found games that were not released in 2018, but I played for the first time in 2018, and there's some interesting ones in there. Age of Steam, which I would like to play again. That's the classic, but the, the reprint is coming, so maybe I'll get a copy of that. Yeah, that one was really, it was a really interesting game. Um, I'd need to play it more before I'd know what to think of it. And I think, I guess also there's like a hundred maps or something that all play there differently. so many maps. Uh, you know what I found out the other day, randomly looking through Board Game Geek? Bezier Games, makers of Suburbia and a billion werewolf variants, they started out publishing Age of Steam maps. Hmm. They're like first 15 things they published were age of steam maps yeah there you go fun fact i I bring the facts all day long that was an interesting one i don't know if i like if i necessarily like the whole route the really really focused like route building thing in age of steam as much as other aspects of train games like investing i mean i like 18xx broadly i had more fun playing 18xx than age of steam but i've only played age of steam once only on one map and I, and so. I really feel like I didn't understand the game until the end of that play. Yeah. Uh, we got to play Three Kingdoms Redux. That was a cool game. That was a fun game. I would uh, play that again. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Hanami Koji was one that was highly recommended to me that I got to play and review. Chinatown is an older game we played for the first time that some people really, really adore. I think Sidereal Confluence just kind of beats it up just for being... A more interesting, more complex game. Although the simplicity of Ch- uh, Chinatown is very charming. Yeah, it is pretty interesting how it the whole game is just negotiation over position and tiles. Yeah, and you're just trying to come out ahead on a hundred micro a hundred <laughs> microtransactions. <laughs> yeah, what else did we play? Kanban, one of the older Lacerda games. We got to play fun for game. the first time. Probably so far my least favorite, but I've only played it the once. Uh, Indonesia. In you like Venus better than Kanban? Probably by a hair. Because yeah. that's your second lowest? Yeah. So I would go... Gallerist and Lisboa are the top two. Lisboa and then the Gallerist and then probably the Venus, then Kanban probably. Yeah. The more I play the Gallerist, the more I think I like the other games better. The Gallerist is certainly the simplest and probably the easiest to kind of figure out. But I don't know. I don't feel like I I'm like necessarily, necessarily good at it because I generally lose the Gallerist. But I just enjoy the other games better. I think Lisbo is so much more interesting. Venus, we'd have to play again. And Kanban, I think the first player that choosing your time, turn order choosing, mm-hmm. is better than the bumping pawns in Gallerist. Yeah. Although maybe the cycle is more interesting in Gallerist. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just waiting for the now confirmed, I think, for a long time rumored uh, deluxe reprinting of Kanban. With what's what's the artist that you know tool? Oh, okay. I was thinking of a different name, but yeah, yeah, the same treatment that all those games have gotten in the last few years. Indonesia, an older splatter game, I got to play, which was very bizarre. I would be interested in playing it again, but it's a splatter game. It was it was cool, along with lots of other games. Any any particular memories from twenty eighteen that stand out to you guys? 
Gloomhaven. <laughs> Lots of Gloomhaven. Lots of Gloomhaven. We did play some uh, some pretty awesome Skull in my bachelor party. Oh, that yeah, that's right. Yeah, Skull was good. Uh, that's the first time I'd played it, and it did not disappoint. There, there, was some pretty, there were some pretty funny moments the next day when the girls came over, and Pam, who... Pam was ruthless. See, it was incredible every, to watch. Everyone thought Pam was ruthless. Pam actually was just... Th- that was just Wes was overthinking, trying to figure out what game Pam was playing. And Pam actually wasn't playing any game at all. <laughs> but I have since played Skull again with Pam, and uh, she does like it now. Yeah. Skull Skull's interesting because it's just on the right side of the, like, win-lose banana partition. <laughs> right, yeah. Where win-lose bananas on the other side. So it just barely works. Yeah. Right? Because, like, win-lose banana is the... It's just flipping a coin. <laughs> well, it can be. But if you think about it, oh, so many of these, like, social deduction games are just that. It's just looking at a person and saying, are they lying or not? Right? Which is kind of what Skull is. But there's just enough there. There's just there's, enough there's, to make it interesting. There's this pushing your feel like there's this push your gets. luck element, where yeah, in the, I think the push your luck ties it all together. It's it's more. It's not just that you have to figure out if someone is lying. You have to figure out which is the least likely place that someone is lying <laughs> or trying to kill you. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, there's just um, enough there. And then there's a push your luck of how far can you go and how many. And then at the end, it kind of changes to almost this different game theory of like everyone knows what tiles i have and i have to bluff my way out of this bad situation to have a chance to win yeah whereas the first half the game is like this push your luck deduction and then the second half becomes almost this game theory puzzle more so but it is fun especially late at night for sure it's Wes, Wes, who is watching our stream for patrons friend of ours is saying he takes full credit for introducing us to skull yes Yes, yeah, so I, I believe it was his idea. It was his idea to bring yeah. it. I've, I'd heard of the game. Shut up and sit down and just talked about it for a long, long yeah, time. Yeah, I'd heard of it. That's where I We played it. a game of it on the podcast. Oh, yeah, we did. With uh, just a deck of playing cards. That's right, because I played right. it at a meetup. That's right. Okay. I got to play it at a meetup. Okay. And then I was like, oh, this is clever. And then we played with a deck of cards. But then I kind of forgot about it. Wes, I will say I'll give you full credit on revitalizing it in my mind mm-hmm. and getting it to the bachelor party. Yep. Yeah, it's a fun game. Highlight for me was playing Brass for the first time in Edinburgh. Oh, yeah. That was pretty cool. And then bringing um, Brass back And bringing us, Brass back, yeah. been a great, great game. Yeah. I, I was trying to think of any memories that I hadn't talked about, but, like, my favorite gaming memories are, like, the cons and stuff that we've already talked about. I guess meeting a lot of game designers and, and such while at, like, PAX Unplugged was cool. So, like, yeah. meeting Brad Talton, who's such a really, really nice guy, uh, the guy who runs Level 99, games okay. millennium, millennium blades exceed pixel tactics all that the nicest guy possible randomly inviting isaac over to play games on some yeah, thursday yeah that was a lot of fun that was a lot of fun who <laughs> since has become a friend yeah those kind of connections i'm not particularly social or good at those kinds of interactions but the little bit i've had and been able to initiate at cons and such have been universally very very fun so i suppose that's my highlight i've gotten to know more people in the biz in 2018. In the New England board gaming circle. That too, yeah. Oh, and the Twitter, the board gaming Twitter. 
Yeah, yeah, Twitter. I had one tweet that kind of got got a good number of uh, retweets. I went like minor viral. <laughs> got like fifty retweets, I think. That was the uh, um... any game's a legacy game if you can hold a grudge really well. <laughs> oh, is that the one you that? That's my best tweet. Yeah, best one. Okay, I, I peaked there. That's certainly more retweets than I've ever gotten. Yeah, there you go. I've never gotten a retweet, so you've never been retweeted. I only have like eight tweets that are replies. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't recall you ever tweeting. <laughs> that aren't direct replies to your tweets. I'll have to re- retweet one of those one time. Anyways, 2018, even though it didn't have the standout games that years past have had, was still a very, very fun year for me in gaming and for the Thoughtful Gamer. And I've already had a ton of fun in 2019. Uh, lots of really fun stuff. We're going to be playing a bunch of Lacerda games soon. We've been playing a lot of um, Coin as well, playing mm-hmm. through the Coin series. Oh, yeah. Yeah, playing through the coin series in order. We're getting back to that on this weekend as well. Mm-hmm. Playing a lot of 18xx, so, um, me especially. I've been playing more of those. Yeah. Those are a lot of fun. Good times for games. Thanks for listening, everybody. Don't forget to check out thethoughtfulgamer.com. Check me out on social media, on Twitter and Facebook. If you see Matt tweet, retweet it. Don't forget to rate the podcast How on iTunes. How are people going to see me tweet? I don't have any followers. I'm not asking for followers. I'm... I, I'm just saying that it's Go imp- find Matt. It's impossible. He won't clog up your newsfeed. <laughs> the he, algorithm he will talk re- him safely he, away. He, he might retweet some hockey analytics, and he will reply to Mark's board game Twitter. <laughs> yes, Matt's basically my Twitter hype man. Anytime I tweet something, he's like, "Yeah, <laughs> that, I, that's why I'm here." <laughs> Watch out! You're That's gonna why get. You make the big. I, you know, I am sure that Twitter just thinks that I'm a bot that <laughs> that you are controlling. So I'm probably doing you more harm than than, probably than good. Get yeah. Some, some of our well, friends think you are a bot <laughs> because they have never met you. <laughs> That's also true. I assure you, I'm not a bot. That's exactly what a bot would sh- would say. Anyways, go rate the podcast and check out the website soon or maybe but pro- hopefully by the time this goes up i will have the new logo up on the site and it looks awesome and just trying to con- convert it to everything buy some merch once that exists yeah yeah i'll have the t-shirt up and you can go buy a t-shirt of the sweet new logo which looks great thanks for listening everybody goodbye bye night <laughs>